Well, if you haven't guessed what we're talking about this morning, it's the subject of friendship. The subject of friendship. Everybody get a Lego? Hold your Lego up. You got your Lego. Everybody got a Lego. Okay, if you didn't get a Lego, our ushers are going to walk through the aisles. Make sure you got it. Everybody's got to have a Lego. So they're going to walk through the aisles, ushers, if you can make sure everybody has a Lego. And um, <clears throat> we'll use them a little bit later in the morning. As a kid, my brother and I, we would spend a week at my grandparents' house. And it was a highlight for him and I because we got to get away from my mother's rules and her jobs that we always had to do all summer long and my three sisters. So for, three, for my brother and I, it was like heaven, you know, like heaven on earth. And so we'd go to our grandparents' house and we would always do things. They would always have things planned for us to do. My grandfather was an engineer and he would always come up with these projects of things for us to build. And so we'd learn how to build things and how to make things. And we'd go on trips with them. And invariably during the summer, we would end up at their friends, the Lee's house. And um, the Lees had a swimming pool, and for two boys, the, the, a great part of the summer was being able to swim. We didn't have a pool at my grandparents' house. They knew how important that was to us, and so we would go to their friends, the Lees' house. We'd also hear them talk about other friends of theirs, the Lubeckers and others, who are people that they spent t- excuse me, time with and vacation with, and sometimes we would have dinner and, and go to parties and events with them. And these were people that were friends of theirs till the day that they died. My grandparents, you see, lived in the same town and went to the same church for over 50 years and developed lifelong friends and lifelong relationships. My wife's grandparents, one of her sets of grandparents, had the same experience. Friends since they were young children and grew up together and friends for life and raised children together and grew old together and celebrated life together for many, many, many years. And as I thought about that dynamic, I realized that while I experienced that with my grandparents, I didn't experience that with my own parents as they moved a number of times and relocated to various areas. And I thought to myself, who would they consider to be their lifelong friends? Who would they consider to be their lifelong friends? And I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure. I think most of us would say that friendships are important and beneficial, but did you realize that there's a major connection between your friendships and your physical well-being? Let me give you a little bit of information. In 2010, researchers discovered the effect of social ties on your lifespan is twice as strong as exercising as the equivalent of quitting smoking. Now, I'm not suggesting if you have great friends, you can smoke and not exercise. That's not what I'm suggesting this morning. But you can double the length of your life if you have great friends and you do, you don't act, you do exercise and you quit smoking. In another study in 2015, it found a lack of social connections in people when they were older doubled their risk of high blood pressure. Dementia risk increased with feelings of loneliness. Friends influence influence us for better or for worse, don't they? Don't they? I mean, think about a change in your eating or your physical activity recently. Did someone suggest that to you? Did a friend say, hey, you should try this? Did a friend say, hey, why don't you come and do this with me? You know, studies have shown that obesity is contagious and healthy living is contagious as well. Fourth graders having friends help them deal with the stress of being picked on or rejected by other kids has been measured. Their cortisol, which is a stress hormone, was not as elevated when kids were left out, even if they had a group of friends. No surprise, right? No surprise. As kids, we recognize how important it is to have friends. We recognize when kids say, these are my friends, or kids say, I don't have any what? Friends how hard that is for them. But somehow, as we get to adulthood, we forget the critical life-giving benefits of friends. 
Solomon talked about it. He said this, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. You're going to get twice as much done if there's two of you and not just one of you. He goes on to say, if one of them falls down, one can help the other up, but pity anyone who falls and has no one to help him up. One time I was out running and uh, it was when first, or shortly after we moved in the area and I was running through Denver and I actually got my foot stuck in the railroad track when I was running and I did a face plant right on the road. I was by myself. Cars drove right by. They didn't even stop. You know, no one there to help me up. No one there to help me up. Solomon goes on to say, if two lie down together, keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Without a friend, you're isolated and alone facing the harshness of the cold of life by yourself. The one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. Without a friend, you will face an enemy and you might be defeated. Words that are often used and, and prepared for a, time, for a wedding ceremony, but Solomon's really talking about friendship and relationships. He goes on to say this, he says, if you walk with wise people, you'll be wise, for a companion of fools suffers harms. Paul said this, to the Corinthians, he said, choose your, choose your friend wisely because bad company, it's going to mess you up. It's going to corrupt your good character. And Solomon ends by saying, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. And I think we'd all love to have a friend that's always there for us at all times. This morning, we're continuing a series that we started last week that we've entitled Emergency Room, those times when life hits a crisis. And what do we do? What's God's design? What's God's plan for when life hits a crisis? And this morning, we're going to talk about not the crisis. We're going to talk about something else. We're going to talk about preventative care. Preventative care. We all know what that term means when we go to the doctor, right? Preventative care. The things the doctor wants you to be doing now that's going to prepare you or keep you from a crisis or is going to get your body in a condition that when you do have a crisis, you will be able to recover fairly quickly. And so what is God's design for preventative care? What is God's design for preventative care? care. I believe one of the most preventative steps you can take to help you navigate crisis in your life is to forge great friendships. Is to forge great friendships. And that's why I gave everybody a Lego block. Everybody got your Lego block? Pull out your Lego block this morning. I've got a couple different sizes here. I've got a Lego block that has four. No one's allowed to have a Lego block with one. If you have one, you've got to throw it out and get another one. So nobody's allowed to have one. But some of them have four. Some of them have uh, six. Some of them have eight. I think this is one, two, four, six, eight, ten, twelve. There's a twelve. Okay, I got two twelves here. So I don't know if you ever heard this analogy, but we all have a Lego block that we can develop relationships. Relationships. You ever notice how some people can have a lot of relationships and they're great with it? They can kind of juggle them and they stay connected and they're involved in other people's lives. And some people, they just need a few. They just need a few. And we're all different. If your Lego block is too big, trade it with somebody sitting around you for a smaller Lego block. Just go ahead and do that this morning. But, you know, I wanted you to have a Lego block because I want you to think about this Lego block as, as the relationships that you have in your life. The, the pin on the Lego block, you're one of them. The rest of them are the people in your life that you're not related to. You're not related to. We're not talking about family. We do other series on family. But we're not talking about family today. We're talking about the other relationships in your life. The other relationships in your life. And if you took a moment and you sat there and thought, who are the people on my Lego block? Who are the people on my Lego block? And um, I don't want you to just settle for having friends. We all have friends. 
you know, a coworker, someone that you, you know, go out and play golf with, someone you hang out, just casual acquaintance. I want us to think about something beyond just friends. I want us to think about great friendships. Great friendships. And I want to give you a statement this morning, and that's this, that great friendships require risk, courage, and pain, but the result is strength, life, and joy. Let me say that again. Great friendships require risk, courage, and pain. We're going to see that this morning. But the result is strength, life, and joy. Strength, life, and joy. And the choice of our friends is critical. The choice of our friends is critical. Solomon says this. He says, one who has unreliable friends, he soon comes to ruin. And this morning I want to look at Solomon's words mostly about friendship, about the people in your life, the people who are on your Lego block. And I want you to ask yourself, not first of all, are the things I'm going to suggest true of your friends? I want you to ask yourself, first of all, are the things that I'm going to suggest true of you? Because to have great friends, you have to be what? A great friend. And so before you evaluate your friends, before you put them through a level of scrutiny, I want you to ask yourself, what kind of a friend am I? Remember the first phrase of that second song? Think Toy Story. What? You've got a what? Friend in me. Got a friend in me. All of those songs talk about there's times when I have a friend and there's times I what? Need a friend. So we're not going to talk about just you scrutinizing and evaluating your friends, because you do that all the time. I don't need to tell you to do that. You do that all the time. But I want you to evaluate yourself and say, what kind of a friend am I? What kind of a friend am I? And this morning we're going to look at a number of passages, and they're going to all come up on the screen. You can follow along in your Bibles or your app as well. But we're going to look at a lot of different verses, primarily from the book of Proverbs, And what I'd encourage you to do this morning is to pull out the note sheet from the program there, write some of these verses down and look at them a little bit later this week. Take out your phone, snap some pictures of them, because we're going to go through them and they're all found in the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs is a book written by Solomon, who is known to be the wisest man who ever lived. Wisest man who ever lived. And so he had a lot to say about friendships, a lot to say about relationships. And we want to walk through and look at those this morning. The first question I want you to ask yourself about yourself and then about your friends is, am I reliable? Am I reliable? And then, are my friends reliable? Am I reliable? And then, are my friends reliable? The end of that verse we were just in, Proverbs 18.24, says there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And we've all heard this phrase, haven't we, that blood is thicker than water, right? Blood is thicker than water. But Solomon suggests that there's a friend that can be even closer than someone you're related to. And we all want a friend like that, don't we? A friend who's going to be there through the thick and thin, through the ups and downs, through the good times and the hard times. And so are you this kind of a friend? Are you this kind of a friend? As I was thinking about a friend that's reliable, um, I thought of a different relationship in my life that illustrates this. Early on when we were starting the church, uh, this couple came and visited, and they were, um, they were in their early 60s, and they came and invited me to their house to visit them. And in those days, people did that. They invited the pastor to come. Now nobody wants him to show up, but they invited him to come, and he shows up. Something's really got to be wrong. But, uh, 
Um, and as I sat and met with them, we, we had a nice conversation. They started asking me how I prepare messages. I thought, this is kind of an odd conversation. Nobody asked me this. Um, and they started to ask me what books I read and what resource tools I use and what study tools I use. I thought, this is really unusual. Come to find out that the individual I was talking to had served uh, in um, mission work in different parts of the country, had trained and discipled and developed young men and young women for years, and was relocated in this area and was serving small churches up and down the East Coast. Um, and he said to me one day, he said, uh, hey, you want to go and a cup of coffee? I said, Sure. And a few weeks later, hey, you want to go for a walk? I said, sure. He said, hey, you want to go play some golf? I was like, sure. And we did this for five years. And he functioned in my life. I would describe him as a mentor and as a friend. And then after that five-year period of time, he retired and moved to Southern California, uh, into the San Diego area. And I wasn't surprised six months later when I got a call from him. How are you doing, John? How's things going? How's the family? How's life at church? He asked me about people here. And then I got a call again, six months later, same series of questions. And then again, six months later, and then again, six months later. And every six months for the last 15 years, I've gotten a call from this guy asking me how I'm doing and how's my family and what's God teaching me and what am I reading and how am I being stretched and how am I growing? And he asked about some of you that know him. And I thought to myself, that's pretty reliable. That's pretty reliable. That's remarkably reliable. And so I ask you this question, are you this kind of a friend? Proverbs 27 verse 10 says, don't forsake your friend or a friend of your families and don't go to your relative's house when disaster strikes. He said, when trouble's around, don't bail on people. Are you going to be there? Are you going to be there? And, and ask yourself, if you have someone that's on your Lego block but every time you reach out to them, they always have something better to do. They're always busy with something. They never have time for you. Are they a friend of yours? I'd suggest they probably aren't. They probably aren't. And I would suggest to you that this might not be a friend worth having. But what about you? What about you? How reliable are you as a friend? The second question I want you to ask yourself and then ask about your friends is, um, are your friendships mutual? Are your friendships mutual? Or is it one-sided? Are you the one who contacts the other person? Does the other person always contact you? Are you the one giving in the relationship? Are you giving and receiving? Are you giving and receiving? Are you giving and receiving? And this was a hard one for me because in my, most of my relationship, for many years, I was the giver, the giver, the giver. And I didn't know if it was just because of my job or what, or what, but I couldn't understand why I was never on the recipient side. And I had to do a lot of soul searching to try to understand this, what was going on with me. And in this, to look at this, I want us to look at a different story. And I want us to look at the story that we looked at a while ago, and that's from 1 Samuel. And in 1 Samuel, there's a story of these two men. Their names are, are David and Jonathan. David and Jonathan. And Jonathan is the son of the king. So he's next in line for the throne. David has been told by God he's going to become king. And you're like, oh, how's that going to work out with these two guys? This guy's in line to be the king, and this guy God said is going to be the king. How's that going to work out? And it's this remarkable story where Jonathan, the son of the king, the heir, 
protects David from his father who is insecure and jealous and doesn't let his father get to him. Takes care of him. He's an incredible friend. And then Jonathan turns around and then Jonathan says to David, whatever you want, because what you've done for me, whatever you want, I'll do for you. And Jonathan goes on to say this to David. He says, would you show unfailing kindness like the Lord's kindness as long as I live so that I won't be killed? And he said, and don't ever cut off your kindness from my family, even when the Lord has cut off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. He says, will you take care of not only me, but my whole family? Will you do that? David goes on to say, he reaffirmed his oath, Jonathan did, because he loved him as he loved himself. They reaffirmed this oath to one another. They said, I'm going to take care of you, and you're going to take care of me. There was a mutuality. to the, It was reciprocal. It wasn't one giving and one receiving. If it, the relationship is one-sided, you're probably not a friend on the block here. You're probably a peer. You're maybe a coach. You may be a boss and a supervisor. And you may be friendly at some level, but I don't know that I would put you on the Lego block if that's what your relationship is like. You say, well, but John, aren't we supposed to love and care for people? We are. We are. But if the relationship is one-sided, and especially if the other person is repeating unhealthy actions, you might not be in a friendship. You might be in an, in an enabling relationship. Enabling relationship. And we're going to talk about that in a couple weeks at the fourth week of our series. So are your friendships reliable? And are they mutual? Here's the next one. Are your friendships telling you the truth? Are your friendships telling the truth? Now ask yourself this question first. Am I telling the truth to my friends? Am I telling the truth to my friends? Proverbs 27 verse 6 says this, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. The wounds of a friend can be trusted. Does a wound ever feel good? I don't know about you, but it never does for me. Wound never feels good. What's the difference between a wound and a hug? Hug always feels good, right? At least most of the time. Those creepy ones, they don't feel good, but you know, most of the time. Um, so most of the time it feels good, but a wound, that never feels good. It doesn't matter whether it's an accident, whether it's not, you know, never feels good. But let me ask you this question. Do your enemies give you hugs? They can, right? And they got a knife in, it's coming in the back, right? Right? Can friends give wounds? Yeah. Yeah. And Solomon says here, faithful, and I might put the word good, healthy, life-changing, are the wounds of a friend. Does a doctor create a wound? Absolutely. Absolutely. And he does it because he's going to make it better. When our kids were little, I was a splinter remover person um, in our family. You know, my wife couldn't do it, but uh, I was the splinter remover person. And uh, they would wince and they would bite their tongue and they would, you know, but it was my job to cause some pain because that pain was going to keep them from infection that could eventually, if untreated, do what? Kill them. Right? Kill them. And so I was willing to cause a little bit of pain because of what I knew it would create on the other side. When my friends tell me the truth and it hurts, it's much easier to take it from them. Much easier to take it from them. What's the difference? 
When an enemy wounds me, why do they do it? They want to hurt me. They want me to feel pain. They want me to suffer. When a friend wounds me, they want me to heal. They want me to recover. And they want me to grow. Look at the second half of this verse. Deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. Deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. When you get kisses from an enemy, something's coming. Something's coming. Something else is behind it. You say, so John, is that part of what a relationship? I just got to tell it to my friends like it is. Well, that's part of it. That's part of it. But there's another component to it as well. In Proverbs 29.5, Solomon says, those who flatter their neighbors are spreading nets for their feet. Are spreading nets for their feet. You see, there's this delicate balance between you need to tell them like it is, but at the same time, if all you hear is praise, you're the best, you're amazing, you're awesome, you should be scratching your chin or your head and thinking, why are they only saying good things? Why are they only saying good things? Please don't take this personally if you're a guest. But it's occasionally when a guest will come to me, first time here, and tell me that this is the best church they've ever been to. And I'm like, oh, thanks. Glad you're here. Hope you come back next week. You'll see we're not as great as you think we are. But when someone after being here a few weeks said, you know, there's some things we really love, there's some things that are different, we don't know why you do that, but you know, then it's a little different. It's a little different. You know, so we have to find this relation, this ratio in our relationships of being honest and truthful at the same time, not making them flattery. And I've come across this recently that's really stretched me, and I want to put this on the, net, on the screen for us, and that's this. We need five encouraging words to every negative one. We need five encouraging words to every negative one. And I think all of you should take a picture of that and put it on your phones. I want you to think about this for a minute. Parents, your kids need five encouraging words to every negative one. Spouses, your spouse needs five encouraging words for every negative one. Bosses, your employees need five encouraging words for every negative one. Parents of students, high schoolers, I know you don't think there's much to encourage them, but they need five encouraging words for every negative one. And so while great friendships, someone on your Lego block should tell you the truth, they also need to say encouraging words to you. That needs to be a part of your relationship. Because if all you hear is criticism and harsh truth, and that's how you relate to people, I'm going to tell you, in time, your Lego block's going to get smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller, and you're going to wonder who your friends are. So when I say a friend tells someone the truth, it doesn't mean that they're critical of them all the time. It means they have a balance of saying hard, truthful things, but also not flattering them with words that don't have significance and don't have weight. Here's another one. Do your friends give you wise counsel? Ask yourself this question. Do you offer wise counsel? Do you offer wise counsel? You say, well, I don't really know, John. I don't really know if I offer wise counsel. Let me ask you this. Do you have someone that comes to you and says, so tell me, what do you think? So tell me, what do you think? Do you ask foolish people their opinions? Yes or no? 
Not usually. Not usually. Because <laughs> you're like, uh, they, they got, the last four cars they bought were lemons. I'm not asking that dude how to buy a car. <laughs> you know? <laughs> right? And so we ask people that are wise, that make good decisions for their wisdom, for their input. Right? And so ask yourself this question. Am I asked, what do you think? What do you think? Am I asked that by people on my Lego block? Look at Solomon said about this one. He said, perfume and incense bring joy to the heart and the pleasantness of a friend springs from their heartfelt advice. Their heartfelt advice. And so when you think of yourself as a friend, do you give people advice from the heart? Do you give them advice from their heart? Do you let them see that you love them, you care about them, and what's going on in their heart? And I would add to this, ask yourself this question, are you always quick to give advice even when they don't want it? Or do you sit and listen and consider and then speak? I remember a number of years ago when I was sitting with a friend and he was telling me about a struggle that was going on in his life. And I told him what I thought he should do. A few hours later, the Holy Spirit did one of those, you know, right upside the head to me and said, you didn't even listen to a word that guy said. I was like, he's right. I was so busy with what I had to say. I didn't even take the time to listen to what he had to say. Think about the people in your Lego block. Do they sit and listen and consider and then speak? And speak. I'm not saying their words always make you feel good. But is it wise? Is it wise? Because Solomon goes on to say this. He says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. When you take iron, when you take an axe and you hit a piece of wood, what does it do? Cuts the wood, right? Does some damage, right? When you leave an axe out in the, in the elements, in the, in the rain, in the sun, what is it going to do? It's going to rust, right? It's not going to do any good. But you put some iron next to some iron, and what's it going to do? It's going to sharpen it. It's going to create sparks. It might create a level of discomfort, but it's going to prepare that iron to be used for the purpose it was designed and intended to be used. And so do you have friends that give you advice because they like to hear themselves think or come across as a guru, or you have friends that consider you, your situation, and God's unique design for your life? And say, have you thought about this? Have you considered this? It seems like because of this, God might be trying to do this in your life. Do you have friends like that on your Lego block? Are you a friend like that? Are you a friend like that? That's willing to say words that might sting, but in the end... You pray and hope will sharpen someone's life so that they can be effective for what God designed them to do. There's one more. One more. Do your friends speak with grace and tact? Do you 
Speak with grace and tact. You're like, I just call it like it is, man. You know, I'm just going to lay it right out there. That's the way I am. You know, they got to take it or leave it. Solomon has something to say about that. He does. He says, like one who takes a garment on a cold day or like vinegar poured on a wound is the one who sings songs to a heavy heart. Proverbs 25.10 How do your friends respond when you're in a difficult time? Are they like this verse, they pour vinegar in the wound? That, that would not feel good. I've never tried that, but that sounds very painful. You know? Do they just give you a spiritual answer to every struggle? Everything's going to work out for good to those that love God and just find your joy in Jesus? And, or they just know how to be with you? How to be present with you? And not say the words, because if you say the words, you're likely going to say the wrong words. I remember when I experienced this personally. Um, my... Years ago when my, my dad's grandfather, who I was very close to, passed away. Uh, he was living down in the Coatesville area. He was down at Tel High for several years and um, he passed away. And we had a viewing down there for some people that knew them in the area. And some people where he lived in Maryland came up to the viewing. And, and I remember one of the guys on staff at that time, it was about 45 minutes away, drove down to the viewing. And... Uh, he didn't say a whole lot, just gave me a hug, was there for a few minutes, and then left. And uh, I realized that guy knew the right thing to do. And he didn't sing songs to a heavy heart. And so I'd ask you, do you know how to be present with someone in their pain? You just know how to sit with them. Can you take on someone who's got irrational thoughts and bizarre thinking because of their life struggle? Or are you always trying to correct them and fix them? This is a hard one for me. Solomon goes on to say this, If anyone loudly blesses their neighbor early in the morning, it will be taken as a curse. And all the night hours saying, Praise you, Jesus. I'm putting that verse in my house. You know, Write that one down. Proverbs 27, 14. You know. <laughs> The night owls are all saying amen. Please be quiet until I have two cups of coffee. You know. My daughter would say to me, she was often one, one of the first ones up in the morning and she'd sit at the counter and have her breakfast and I'd, I'd come down and talk to her and, and when my son was working during the summer, he would often leave very early and she would say, Dad, I can handle you or Daniel. I cannot handle both of you in the morning. You just talk way too much and you want to engage. I just can't handle it, you know. We didn't have the grace and tact that was needed at that moment in time. But does your friend have this? Do you have someone on your Lego block that knows when to be quiet and when to speak? Um, they have the tact that's needed. Do they know when to joke and tease and when to be serious? Do they know when a joke has gone too far? You ever had that experience? Someone that you consider to be on your Lego block and they have a joke and they, and they kind of jab every time they see you and they jab again and they jab again and you're like, man, that hurts. They, they don't have the discernment to know. Do they know your trigger points and are they sensitive to them? And so I began the message with this statement. I said, great friendships require risk, courage, and pain. But the result is strength, life, and joy. 
And I want you to think about, first of all, what kind of a friend are you? What kind of a friend are you? Are you reliable? Is your friendship mutual or reciprocal? Are you truthful? Do you offer wise counsel? And are you tactful? And I want to challenge you to take this list, take these things we talked about, and go home and just kind of rate yourself. Say, how am I as a friend in these five areas? I'll send it out to you in Slice of Life this week so you have a reminder to take a look at it. Just rate yourself. How am I in these five areas? And then I challenge you to go to a couple people on your Lego block not related to you and ask them, on one to five, how reliable would you say I am? How mutual would you say our relationship is? How truthful am I with you? Do you feel like I offer wise counsel? And am I tactful? Do I know when to speak, when not to speak, what to say, what not to speak? I want to challenge you to do this. Because you're going to find yourself in a time in life. You're going to find yourself in a place where you are at a crisis. Where you are heading into the ER either physically, emotionally, relationally, or spiritually. And I don't know about you, but the people I want there are the people on my Lego block. That's who I want there. That's who I want there. People that are going to show up. People that I would do this for them. People that are going to be honest with me. People that are going to be wise with me. And people that are going to be discerning with their words when they speak. Say, John, I'm not sure what my Lego block looks like, but I think I got one of those one Lego things that you were telling us not to have. Maybe the challenge for you this fall is to say, what's it going to take for me to start to develop these kinds of relationships? What's it going to take? Is it going to be for you to just start by putting yourself in a setting where you could cultivate these kinds of relationships? That might be with a group of men or a group of women or together with your spouse in a community group. Say, you know, I'm going to put myself in a setting where I'm going to get to know some people might mean that I've got to do a little work because these things are not true of me. And before I, can, before I can expect someone else to offer it to me, I have to offer it to someone else. And maybe this fall for you, it's saying, God, I want to be the kind of friend that others are going to look to. That others are going to look to. And that means there are some changes that need to happen in my life. Great friendships require risk, courage, and pain. But the result is strength, life, and joy. One of the verses we looked at says, there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And you know one of the things that Jesus was described as? He was described as a friend of sinners. A friend of sinners. I think if you would go back to those characteristics and you would say, were these things true of Jesus? I think we would all say, yes. Was he reliable? Did he offer what he received? Yes. Was he honest? Yes. Was he discerning in his words? Did he offer wise counsel? Yes. And so while many of us may be evaluating ourselves as a friend and the friends we have in our lives, Jesus is saying to you, do you have this kind of relationship with me? With me. Because I want that kind of relationship with you. And even if I don't have that kind of relationship with you, God says, I want it. I want it. So I don't know where you're at in your, in your faith journey, where you're at in your relational journey, but for us at CCC, both of these things are important. 
You hear us talk about all the time, our purpose is to love others deeply. And that's part of being the kind of friend that others will be drawn to and that we can pour in just like others support into us. But it starts with the relationship to the one who offers that to us, and that's with Jesus. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me this morning. And, and as you do, just want to give you a moment to talk with God. And if this morning as I've been talking, you've been thinking of people in your life who are great friends, just take a moment and say, God, I thank you so much. And put that person's name in the box. And if one of these five areas that I've talked about this morning, God's kind of given you a little nudge. He's given you a little wounding. He said, that's one you need to do some work on. Will you admit that to Him this morning? And say, God, I want that to be true of me. In just a moment, the band's going to close with a song that we know, and it's the song Reckless Love that speaks of God's pursuit of us. He will never give up on us. And that's the kind of relationship He longs to have with you today. God, You know where each of us are at in our lives. You know the people that we consider to be on our Lego block and maybe this morning we realized some people they really aren't on the, the Lego block or they shouldn't be and or we've kind of said, God, I, I want people like that in my life and I'm not sure I have that. So Lord um, Pray that Solomon's words, the words of a wise man, would be words that stir something up, that create this longing. Because God, this is who You have pictured for us in Jesus, and this is what You long for us to be in the relationships in our lives. Lord, we know that we can't change the things in our lives or become the person You want us to be on our own. That we need You. And that we need Jesus.